Uh, welcome Maricel Scott, our family ministry director, up here to the stage. Would y'all give it up for Maricel as she makes her way all the way from the back? And I know she hates this because she doesn't like being the center of attention. I wanted to bring her up here, though, because it's her birthday today. That's right. Come on, she's turning 29 today. And so uh, we just... <laughs> no, not really, not really. It's more like 30. But um, I'm just joking. Maricel, hey, uh, we are just so grateful for all that you do in our church, serving in our family ministry, leading our family ministry, leading uh, the adults there to invest in kids and care for kids. And uh, so we wanted to give you this gift. This is from my family and also our church to you. We know y'all love black, black Rifle Coffee. And so uh, we just wanted to give that to you and honor you and say happy birthday. And thanks for doing what you do. All right, you're welcome. Nice. Y'all give it up for Marisol one more time. Nice. So Marisol is our family ministry director, and she does a phenomenal job, not just... Um, creating environments for kids, but also coming alongside parents to help parents lead their kids. Because how many of you know that as a church, we only get so many hours with your kids, we can only do so much with your kids, but you as a parent, you have thousands of hours with your kids. And so it's your job to equip your kids when it comes to following Jesus and knowing Jesus, and we just wanna come alongside you to resource you and help you and let you know you're not in this alone. And so Marisol does a phenomenal job doing that. Um, I also want to introduce you to somebody else. This is Lourdes. Lourdes sells empanadas in Paraguay. Lourdes got pregnant when she was 18 years old. Her family abandoned her. The father of her child left her on her own, so she had to piece together work to provide for her and her son. She said, we supported ourselves with the little we had. My son never got to use diapers because I didn't even have enough to buy them. And so Lourdes got this idea to start her own business selling empanadas. And so she took out a microfinance loan of $60 to start this business. And as the business grew, she took out another microfinance loan of $975 to expand the business. And when I say microfinance loan, here, here's what that is. A microfinance loan is one where uh, investors give a small amount, that's the micro part, and it goes into this large pot that people can then dip into, take out as a loan to start a business or advance their business or anything like that. And so she took out this microfinance loan through an organization called Kiva. And Kiva works with investors who give a small amount, the micro part, to go into this larger pot. And Kiva helps uh, people in third world countries and also uh, people who are struggling in poverty so that they can have the funds and the resources needed to start businesses to better their lives. And so Lourdes took out this $60 microfinance loan to begin her business. She then took out a loan of $975 that was given by 33 different lenders so that she could expand her empanada business and provide for her and her son. And after expanding the business, here's what she said. Everything that I am now, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful to Kiva lenders. I know that they did their part to achieve my dream. I'm grateful from the bottom of my heart. See, because 33 people gave an average of $29, just a small amount. She was able to take out this loan to expand her business and provide for her and her son and make a better life for all of them. I don't know if you've met some of the people who are here in this photo, uh, but these are the people who showed up this morning to set up this entire environment. 
These are some of our team members who serve in our church. And what we did just before this service was we gathered around these chairs, and we do this every single week. We gather around these chairs and we pray for the people who are gonna sit in these chairs. You were prayed for before you even got here. And these people in this picture are just some of our team members, not all of them, but we gather here each and every week to set up this environment so that people will meet Jesus and journey with him. So far since our inception as a church back in March, we're not even a year old yet, we've seen 14 people give their lives to Christ in baptism, and we've seen at least three other people say they want to make that same decision. We've given away over $8,000 to our strategic partners, helping the homeless here in Hampton Roads, uh, helping... Um, kids in poverty in the Dominican Republic. Uh, we're helping start new churches here in Virginia and North Carolina and Maryland and also South Carolina and even Tennessee. We're doing all that. And then we have another 10000 set aside to help our strategic partners as we move forward. $18,000 that we've set aside to give away to help people outside this church. And we do all of that because people just like you give their time, give their small resources to serve and to give to make an impact. See, it is so true that a great move of God is not built on the talent of a few, but on the sacrifice of many. And I wonder, have you ever stopped to just think about what would happen if people collectively came together and gave their small amount, whatever it is they have, they said, here's what I got. If people came together, worked together, how much of an impact could take place? Single moms could start businesses to provide for their kid and rise up out of poverty. People would come to meet Jesus and journey with him and forever have their lives changed. It is so true that a great move of God is not built on the talent of a few, but on the sacrifice of many. And what I wanna do today is I just wanna remind you about why we exist as a church. I wanna, I wanna help you understand what the church is all about. Because I think it's so easy for us to often slip into this mindset where we start to think that church is a service that I go to, that church is a service that exists to serve me. And so what is it that I can get for my family, for my kids? We can show up to church and we just think, okay, what can I get? I need to get a word. I need to get a song. I need to get a whatever it is. But the truth is the church is a movement that is on a mission. And our mission is to help people meet Jesus and journey with him. It's so easy for us to sink into this attitude where we think that the church exists and it's all about me. But the truth is the church exists and, and you and I are part of the church. If you're a Christian, you are part of the church because the church is not the building. The church is not a service. The church is the people. And so when you showed up today, you didn't show up to church. You brought the church to Skate House. You understand? And so the church is the people. And so often we can sink into this attitude thinking that the church exists to serve me. But really, when we are part of the church, if you're a Christian, you are part of the church and you exist to serve others so that they can meet Jesus and journey with him. And here's what's amazing. When you play your part as a church, when you step up and serve, you discover the life you've been longing for. Because we all want to live a life that's full of meaning and purpose, a life that matters. And when you give of yourself and not just take or not sit as a spectator, then you begin to live out your purpose and you find meaning and fulfillment in all that God has called you to because you're playing your part as the church. And so I just want to rewind and I want to give us some of the history and, 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 and some of the, the reason why the church existed. Sometimes when... Um, 
when we get lost or we get off track, it's good to go back to the beginning. And so 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, started his public ministry. And he burst onto the scene and he, and he taught some things and he did some miracles. And then he called these 12 guys to follow him, his disciples, his apprentices. He was going to teach them what he knew. And he did this because he knew he only had three short years of ministry. He knew that after three short years, he was going to be arrested and betrayed and then handed over to be crucified. So he knew he didn't have forever. So he invites these guys along this journey with him to teach them the operations of the movement of the church. And so he goes along for three years. Eventually he is betrayed. He's crucified and he's buried in a tomb. But how many of you know that he didn't stay in that tomb forever? Because three days after Jesus was buried, he resurrected from the grave. He rose from the dead. And this is what we gather to celebrate every single Sunday. You know why we meet on Sundays? Because it was on a Sunday that Jesus rose from the grave. It was on the first day of the week that Jesus rose from the tomb. And so when we gather on Sunday, every single week, we are reminding ourselves that resurrection isn't something that happened, it's something that happens. We gather like this to remind ourselves we don't serve a savior who's dead in a tomb. We don't serve a prophet who's long and gone. But we serve a resurrected savior, the king of kings and the Lord. Lord of Lords, you serve a risen God who's living and active here and now. That's why we gather on Sundays. I don't know about you, but I need that reminder sometimes that resurrection still happens. That's why for me, when it comes to coming to church on Sunday, it's not an option of will I or won't I. It's of course I'm going to because I need to be around some people like you to be reminded that I'm not alone. I need to be reminded that resurrection happens. That's why we celebrate communion every week. When I'm done talking, we're going to have a time where we take communion. And uh, you got it there in your chairs. There's a piece of bread. It reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. There's some juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. When I'm done talking, I'm going to give you a chance to partake in communion. Not as a ritual, but as a reminder that Jesus was crucified on the cross. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead. And during that time of communion, it may be a time that you need to remind yourself of God's grace. So I don't know what you did this week. I don't know what you've been wrestling with from your past. But as we take communion, that may, be a need, that may need to be a time where you just realize you have been forgiven. And you don't have to live in those chains anymore. You don't have to live with that guilt anymore. You don't have to live with that shame or remorse anymore because you've been forgiven. And communion reminds us of that. But Jesus was crucified. He, he was buried. He rose again from the dead. And then, and then he showed himself to his followers. They saw him resurrected. And then he hung out with them for about 40 days. And, and then he said, okay, I'm about to ascend into heaven. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to leave. So I want you to meet me on the top of Mount Galilee. And so they travel to Mount Galilee. They meet him on top of the mountain. And um, he gives them these final words. We, we see it in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came and he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. 
When Jesus gets his disciples right there on the top of the mountain of Galilee, he essentially says to them, hey, tag, you're it. I came here three years ago. I started this ministry. I'm ascending into heaven, but now the mission is on you. I'm handing the mantle over to you. Tag, you're it. I want you to go into all the world and teach people to obey what I've commanded you and then baptize them. And then he floats off to heaven like he ascends. He's gone. And here's what I want to ask you. When Jesus said this to his followers, tag, you're it. Go make disciples. Teach people to obey what I've commanded you and baptize them. This isn't a command that he gave just to those guys who were assembled on the top of that mountain. He gave this command to every person who would follow him. This isn't a command for ministers or pastors or full-time preachers. This is a command for every single Christian. For every single person who follows Jesus, here's the question I want to ask you. This was Jesus' marching orders. This was his final command. This is what he told us to do. Who are you baptizing this year? Are you meeting with anybody right now and you're teaching them to obey the things Jesus commanded? Hopefully, if you're a parent, your kids are there. But is there anybody you're systematically meeting with on a weekly basis, every other week basis, once a month basis, and you're teaching them right now? Hey, man, here's what Jesus said. So here's what we're going to do. And then you give some homework. Jesus said, love our enemies. Here's what we're going to do. When we leave here, we're going to make a list of all the people we hate. And we're going to pray for them. And we're going to make a list of the people we got grudges with. And we're going to choose to lay down that grudge. And then when we meet up next week, I'm going to ask you, hey, did you do that? And if you didn't do it, we're going to talk about it again. And then we're going to do the same homework. Because it's no good just knowing what Jesus said. we got to do what Jesus said. Who are you doing that with? I'm telling you, this is convicting for me. It's challenging for me. I realized I wasn't doing that, so I met up with a few guys last year, and I said, hey, let's go through this. And so I started doing this with them. But I realized since then I hadn't done that with anybody else. Jesus told me to make disciples. Jesus told you to make disciples. If you're just going to church, you're not doing what Jesus said. That's convicting. Y'all showed up to church to change today, right? You showed up to change? Okay, good, because I'm going to just tell you some stuff that's going to help you change. Or you won't like, and you'll just stay where you are. Who are you baptizing this year? Who are you being intentional about sharing your faith with and living out your faith where people see who you are and how you live, and they say, I want what you got. And you say, let me tell you about the hope that I have. And then you introduce them to Jesus. Man, that's a challenge. So Jesus got his disciples on top of this mountain. He said, here's what I want you to do. Go into all the world. Go into your workplace. Go into your family. Go to your friends and make disciples. Teach people to obey what I've commanded. That means you've got to live it out too. And baptize them. Live a life that's so irresistible where they say, I want what you got. Hey, Jesus says to us, essentially, you can't play games with this stuff. You're either in or you're out. So let's be in. So he said, go into all the world. Make Here's what I find fascinating. 
Jesus didn't get his disciples on top of that mountain and say, hey, I was thinking about this. So I'm about to leave you with this movement known as the church. And here's what I'd love for you to do. Would you just take some time to maybe pray about it and, and see if God leads you to maybe, possibly, if it fits within your schedule, to give just a few hours every other week to volunteer in this movement that's the church. Do you think you could probably think about that and pray about that? Could you maybe help me out? Just a few hours every other week in this movement of the church. He doesn't do that. But this is what we do in church. Or if we approach somebody about serving, the number one answer I get is, I'm going to pray about that. What are you praying about? God has already told us to serve within his church, and I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to pray about that. You don't need to pray. God already gave you an answer. And Jesus doesn't get his disciples there. See, church is not a thing that I help out at. You don't volunteer it. You can't volunteer at something that you are. If you're a Christian, you are the church. Well, I, I think about maybe giving my time to the church and helping out and do a good thing for them, and, and I'm doing them a service. No! If you're a Christian, you are part of the church, and it's your role and responsibility to play that part, to make a difference in the lives of other people. Because just imagine if a bunch of people got together and said, God, we're going to give what little we have to make a difference. What kind of impact could we have? The sky's the limit. The sky's the limit. So what happens is Jesus tells them, hey, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to, uh, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, baptize them, all this stuff. And then he floats off to heaven. He's gone. And then the disciples go into the city of Jerusalem. They're hanging out in this upper room trying to figure out what their next move is. And out of nowhere, after about 10 days, God's spirit descends on the room. And they start speaking in these languages that are known around the world. They're like speaking languages they never learned, but other people knew what they were. And so they disperse from this room in the city of Jerusalem. And they're speaking all these languages. And people are like, oh, my goodness, how do you know my language? You're not even from where I'm from. And it's this miracle that God uh, took place in, the, in their midst. And so thousands of people gather around. And then Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, he gets up and he preaches this sermon to all these people. And he says, hey, Here's what happened. Jesus, you know, the guy who was like living like just 50 days ago and he got crucified. Many of you saw it. Many of you heard about it. Well, he rose again from the dead. And that's what we're all about, the resurrection. And then he says, Jesus died to take away your sins. And they say, what do we need to do? And he responds with this. He says, repent. That means turn away from your own way and follow God's way and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He tells these people who want to follow Jesus, here's how you follow Jesus. You go all in with them by saying, I'm not going to justify my life anymore. I'm not going to make excuses for what I want to do anymore. But I'm going to follow what your word says. I'm going to follow your way. So I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from my way and follow your way. And I'm going to be baptized into you. And that day, 3,000 people were baptized. And the church grew. In one day, from 120 people to 3,120 people. It's the fastest, church in growth, or fastest growing church ever. And so this is what happened. And, and by the way, I want to encourage you, if you've never made the decision to get baptized into Jesus, to follow him fully, 
today's the day to make the decision to say, Jesus, I want to follow you and give my life to you. You could do that by filling out the connect form Dave mentioned earlier. And there's a box there that says, I want to be baptized. Mark that box. We're going to get in touch with you. We'd love to connect with you. Our plan, our current plan, is to do some baptisms right outside on March 19th, the same day we're celebrating our one-year anniversary here at Skate House. And we'd love for you to be a part of that. And so what happens is 3,000 people say yes to Jesus. They're baptized into him. The church grows like crazy, and it keeps growing. But as it grows, they, they hit some obstacles. They hit some roadblocks. They, they outgrow some of their systems and some of their logistics. See, one of the ministries that they decided to do in that church, that very first church, is a food distribution ministry. They said, well, we've got to feed some people. So they start distributing food, but there are some people who get overlooked in the distribution of food. And these people, they don't handle it right. They start complaining. They start grumbling. By the way, if there's something that's happened in the church that you don't like, the proper response is not to complain or grumble, but it's to rise up and see, how do I be the solution to the problem? The way that you fix things in your marriage that you don't like is not to complain and grumble and nag, but it's to say, how do I step up and be the solution to the problem? Y'all don't like that. The way that, you be, the way that you fix things in your job is not to gossip or complain or undermine the boss's authority, but it's to step up and say, how do I be the solution to the problem? Now, these early Christians, they didn't understand that. We do, but they didn't. So they complain, they grumble. And then the leaders of the church hear this, and they say, okay, well, let's come up with a solution. And here's, here's what they, they come up with, Acts chapter 6, verse 25. See, they find that there's a gap in the ministry. Something's not happening. And so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, well, we apostles, that's the, the 12, the, the leaders of the church, should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. So brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom, and we'll give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and so they chose the following. Then it gives us a list of the names of people that they chose, and then they step into this position. What happened was the leaders of the church were saying, okay, it's our job, it's our responsibility to teach and preach, to lead people to God. But they were also doing something they shouldn't have been doing. They were waiting tables. And they said, I can't, we can't wait tables and do our job. It's too much for one person. So they said there's some gaps, and it was evident it was too much for one person because there were some gaps and people were being overlooked. So they said, all right, let's get some more people involved in this. They selected seven people, and it was their role to do the food program, and it freed up the leaders of the church to do what only they could do. So when people stepped into the gap, when people started serving, here's what happened. God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. The block for the growth of the church was when people didn't step up to serve. When people stepped in to serve, the church grew. Because there's more people doing the work. Do you see how when just a, a bunch of people use the few resources they have, they combine it and work together. What great and amazing things can happen. And then later on, there's this guy named Paul. He starts churches all over the Roman world and started this church in Corinth. 
And uh, the church in Corinth had uh, a hard time understanding this concept uh, of serving. And they were looking, like, to the leaders probably to do all the work, or, or there were a select few who were doing the work of the church. And so Paul writes them a letter and explains their role in being in the church. And, and here's how he explained it to them. He said, hey, th there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. And he says this, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Remember, Paul's writing to this church in Corinth, and he's saying, hey, God has given each of us, you, 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 you each of us, spiritual gifts. God has given you some gifts so that you can use your gifts on yourself. No, that didn't sound right, because it's not what he said. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. I've been given gifts not for me, but for you. You've been given gifts not for you, but for everybody else. What he's explaining is that you are God's gift to humanity. God has given you some gifts, abilities, and talents, not so you can use them on yourself, but so that you can use them to help and benefit other people. And we all know what we do with gifts, right? We give gifts. We give gifts. I gave Maricel a gift earlier. There's some good stuff in there. We got that gift for Maricel. Now, if I decided to keep that gift, because I like what was in it, and I used it on me, what's the word you would use to describe me? Selfish. You said it, not me. God has given you some gifts, abilities, and talents to make a difference in the world. He's given you some gifts to use for the benefit of others. But if you come to church, and you sit in a seat, and you don't use those gifts, you're being you said it, not me. Don't get mad at me. Do you see? God has given you a gift. Listen, this church will never be as great as it can be if you don't serve. Because you got some gifts and you're holding out. You're holding out. We're missing out on the gift that is you. I mean, there's some kids who need you to invest in them in our family ministry, and they're gonna miss out because you're too busy. There are some people who are gonna walk through those doors who are having a rough week, who need a, a smiling face, who need somebody who's gonna greet them, who need somebody who's gonna remember their name, make them feel cared for, have a conversation with them, and they're gonna miss out because you got a lot going on right now, and you can't do it. Man, God, God has given you some gifts, and we need you. We need you to be the gift God has given you to bless and serve others. But Paul goes on to, to explain this to another church, the church in Ephesus. They didn't get it either. So he writes him a letter, and here's the analogy he uses with them. He says this, the human body has many parts. But the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. This, the church is the body of Christ. He says, our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. 
all of you together are Christ's body. Each of you is part of it. This church is the body of Christ. And it says that God put each part where he wants it. Maybe you came because you saw an ad on Google or on social media or a friend invited you. You got a mailer in the mail and you just thought, okay, I'll go check this out. Can I just let you know it's not happenstance that you showed up? But God placed you here for a reason. Because you got some gifts, abilities, and talents. He wants you to be part of the body. And he wants you to play your part in the body. If you had a part of your body that wasn't working, that'd be a problem, wouldn't it? I mean, if your arm just wasn't working, you'd be mad at your arm, wouldn't you? Work arm. I mean, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not mad at anybody. But after a while, if your arm doesn't work, you don't work it out, it atrophies. It dies. And you got to amputate it or else it will kill the rest of the body. Man, you are part of the body of Christ. God has given you some gifts, abilities, and talents to use to make a difference in the lives of other people. And I'll just let you know this. The body of Christ does not have room for an appendix. You know what an appendix is, right? Appendix doesn't do jack crap in your body. It, it is useless, worthless. It just free, it's just there. And then when the appendix gets mad, all infected, it explodes and kills you. There's no room for an appendix in the body of Christ where you just sit and do nothing, and then you get offended about something. I didn't call you selfish. You did. And then you get mad and explode. No, there's no room for that. Everybody has a part to play in the body of Christ. You have a part to play. And there's no insignificant part to play. Look, the door hinge is small compared to the door, but without the hinge, the door doesn't swing. It's a small thing, but it does a great work. Whatever you have, you can offer to make a difference and an impact. And so I wonder, are you playing your part? Ephesians 4.11. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. When you do your own special work, the rest grows so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. If you don't do your part, the body can't be healthy and growing and full of love. Do you see the connection here? And he says, he says, he says, God gives apostles, leaders, teachers, pastors, and here's, here's, here's my job description. Because you might be hearing this and say, wait, isn't that your job? Aren't you supposed to be doing all this stuff? No, I'm not. It's not my job description. My job description is in the Bible. It's right here. God gives leaders, pastors, teachers, our staff, it's our job to equip the people of the church to do the work of the church. If I'm doing the work of the church, I'm not doing my job. My job is not pastor. My job is not leader. My job is not mentor. My job is not counselor. My job, according to what the scriptures say, is equipper. It's my job to equip you to see the ministry God has called you to. 
to help you see that you have the same spirit living in you that raised Jesus from the dead, and God wants to do something great in you just like he wants to do something great in me. Each and every one of us in this place are ministers of the gospel of God. If you're a Christian, you are a minister of God. I was thinking about having business cards printed out for all of you that says, job description, minister, because that's what you are. If somebody were to ask me how many people we got on staff, the answer is like, oh, probably about 70. You're on staff. We're not paying you, but you're on staff. Congratulations. God has called you to do something great, and you got to use what God has called you to do to do something great in your life. So I wonder, are you playing your part? Are you playing your part as part of the body? The common theme throughout all of this is this. Jesus came with a mission to see people meet him and journey with him. And Jesus chose not to embark on that mission alone. He invited 12 other guys to go along with him so he could teach them so that they could then play their part. And that was their time. This is our time. Here and now. After hearing a message like this, you got two choices. You could say, yeah, but I don't have time. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm intimidated. I'm scared. I get it. I get it. I get it. Or you can say, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to step up. I'm going to serve. I'm going to shadow. We're not asking you to serve for the rest of your life, although that would be the goal. Because service is just who you are as a Christian. We're asking you to give it a shot. So what are you going to do? we got several different areas for you to serve in within the church. By the way, this idea of serving is not just within the church, but it's also with, uh, outside of the church. But within the church, because we're the body of Christ, you're using your gifts to serve and make a difference. So we got several different areas for you. As you leave today, you're going to see the Rid the Red board over there. And you're going to see some red there. What we did is we said we got some open opportunities for people to serve. we got some gaps within our ministry. We're not operating at 100%. Our body's limping along. But if we rid the red and we filled it with green, we'd be operating at full speed. So you're going to see some areas over there that might interest you. We've got our guide team. If you're a people person, this is for you. Man, it's greeting people. It's helping people take their next step. There's also family check-in. You can, you can do that where you greet families and get them checked in and involved. We've got birth through two, elementary, preschool. Man, if you want to invest not in the future generation but the now generation, serving in family ministry is your deal. If you want behind the scenes, we got production, like sound, lights, uh, video, uh, all this uh, live streaming. And if you're like, I don't know how to do all that, that's okay. Neither do we. We didn't go to school for that stuff. But we're learning and we're figuring it out. And we'll teach you. We'll teach you. Then there's security. You've been lifting weights, pumping up. Come on, we need you on security. Um. We got environment creation. They haul trailers. They put out our road signs so that people can see that and know that we exist. They set things up. Um, we got all kinds of different areas for you to serve in. So stop by there. Take a look and see where you can play your part. And we'll get in contact with you and just have you shadow. That's what we're looking for. And as I, as I close out, and I got to close out because I'm over my time. I told them it's going to be a 30-minute sermon. They should have known it was a lie. As I close out, I, I, I do want to show you that what Jesus says, um, that, that Jesus knew 
he needed to get people involved to play their part. And he taught his followers this early on. There was this time early on in his ministry where he's teaching a crowd of people. The crowd is gathering around. He needs some space. And so one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. And so Jesus is there and he sees two boats and he sees these fishermen and they're washing their nets. And the nets that they would have used would have been nets like this. This is a cast net or a throw net. And there's weights on the end and, and what they would do is they'd, they'd toss this off uh, out into the water and it would open up and it would sink down to the bottom. And then they'd pull up the net and as they pull up the net, the fish that were in the path would get caught up in the net. And so they were cleaning their nets because they had been fishing all night. And what you're about to find out is they didn't catch anything that whole night. So they're exhausted. They put in hard work all night. They're cleaning their nets. And then Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, also known as Peter. And he asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking... He said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, well, master, we have worked hard all night, and we hadn't caught anything. Jesus, we're exhausted. We're tired. This feels overwhelming to me. That's a lot of work involved. We already worked. We didn't catch anything. And now you want us to do more work. I don't have time for that. I got plans later on. You're busting into my schedule. This is inconvenient. How many of you know Jesus doesn't care about your convenience? How many of you know Jesus doesn't care about your comfort? He will take you past your convenience, past your comfort, pushing your limits so that you can become somebody you never thought you could become. That's what he's doing with Simon. And Simon has all the reasons, all the excuses, and I'm sure they're all valid and legit. I'm exhausted. We've been fishing all night. I don't have time for this. And he could have given in to those excuses. But he says, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Jesus, I don't know if I have time to serve. I mean, I love it. It was a great, great message. Really inspired me, convicted me. But I don't have time. Jesus, I'm scared. I don't really know anybody. I don't know what I'm doing. Say all your excuses, but then at the end, will you say, like Simon, but because you say so, I'll take a step. I'll take a step. I'll do it. So he said, but because you say so, we'll let down the nets. Peter had every reason and excuse, and they were good reasons. They were good excuses. They really were. But he said, I'm not going to give in to those. Because you say so, I'll do it. And I want you to watch this. Luke 5, 6. When they had done so, when they had done so, when they had done so, when you do what Jesus tells you to do, you'll see what Jesus wants to give you. When you do what Jesus says to do, 
You can't just know what Jesus says. When you do it, when you put it in action, when you take a step, when you sign up to serve, when you grab hold of the net, then you'll see the reward. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full, they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. He said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. When they did what Jesus told them to do, they saw something they had never imagined. These seasoned fishermen were astonished at the catch that they had seen. They're pulling up the nets, and the nets are so full of fish, their boats begin to sink. So they call others over, and others come, and they grab hold of the net, and there's more hands on the net, and then they're pulling, and they're doing everything they can to get this, this catch of fish up. And then they get it up. And they bring it ashore. Now, how ridiculous would this be? If you're standing on the shore and you see all of this happen and you see this miraculous catch of fish and they come back and you're like, oh man, look at what we did. Look at all those fish we caught. That's amazing. The people in the boat, the people with their hands on the net would have been like, we, we, you stood on the shore and watched. You spectated from the sidelines. There's no we. The we is the people who had their hands on the net. The we are the ones who got involved, not the ones who watched. So I want to ask you, do you need to get your hands on the net? Do you need to get your hands on the net? Are your hands currently on the net? We got 38 people who are currently serving in this church. Their hands are on the net. And I want to let you know there's more room on the net. There's space here on the net. So will you come put your hands on the net? Will you be one to come and put your hands on the net? Don't leave me up here by myself. If you need to put your hands on the net, there's still more room on the net. If you're ready to take the step to say, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to help haul in the catch. Now's the time. Would you join me? Would you come put your hands on the net? There's more room on the net. Is there anybody? Is there anybody who would come grab the net? There's still more room. I can't do this alone. I can't pick this up by myself. Would somebody come grab hold of the net, please? Nobody? There's room on the net. Will somebody help me? I can't do this alone. If you're ready to start serving, come on. Come on. If you haven't taken the step to serve, today's the day. There's still more room on the net. There's still more room. If you haven't taken the step to serve, today's the day for you to step up and to say, I'm going to give it a shot. There's still more room on the net. There's still more room on the net. Don't leave them up here by themselves. The catch is heavy. We can't do this alone. There's still more room on the net. 
there's still more room on the net. It's time to step up and to say, I'm going all in because there's still more room. There's still more room for more hands. If you're ready today to say yes, to go all in. I know it doesn't look like room. Y'all scoot over, scoot over, scoot over. There's still more room on the net. There's an empty spot with your name on it. And today is the day. The catch is heavy. And we can't do it alone. We need you. There's still a spot. Whose spot is that? Whose spot is that? Well, I reckon we can haul in what we need to with this. <laughs> yeah. God, I want to thank you so much for your grace and mercy and love. And even if somebody didn't come up and grab hold of the net, I pray that you let them know it's not too late. Today's the day to take a step. For those who just took a step to come up to serve, to say they're going to grab hold of the net, I pray they follow through on their intention. Because we've got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of people to reach. We're not done yet. We're just getting started. But together, collectively, with you, we can do it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all give it up for those who came and grabbed hold of the net. Y'all can set that down. Thank you. And hey, if you came up here and you grabbed hold of this net and you're not currently serving, I want to invite you at the end of this service, join, stop by the Rid the Red board, put your name on there, and we want to get in touch with you. And if you didn't come up and grab hold of the net, that's okay. You can still stop by that board, put your name up there, we want to get in touch with you. You can stop by next week. Next week will be the last week we got it. But it's not the last week you can start serving. You can serve anytime. We got a great mission. We got people to reach, a mission to keep, and together collectively we can make it happen. Because the great move of God is not built on the talent of a few, but on the sacrifice of many.